This episode is brought to you by Comic Bento. Comic Bento, this month, their theme is creator-owned. If you go to comicbento.com and use the promo code SAVAGE, you can get a box of five collected edition uh, trade paperback comics that are all creator-owned, two of which will be from Image Comics. Uh, the others will be from probably any number of the other uh, creator-owned publishers out there, You know, whether it be Dark Horse or, uh, I don't know, other ones. <laughs> they have them all on their website, but I just <laughs> kind of blanked on it. Uh, I had a brain fart, guys. I'm I'm a little tired. It's you know, it's it happens sometimes, even to the best of us. And I am not the best. Um, but five creator-owned comics. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Trade paperbacks are just such a great way to read comics. You can put them on your bookshelf and see that nice little spine there. Tells you what the comic is. Um, but yeah, you can get these uh, creator-owned books from publishers like Image, Dark Horse, Oni Press, uh, Dynamite, Titan, Valiant, many more uh, publishers. This creator-owned, I'm sure, will be Image, uh, Dark Horse, and Oni Focused, uh, as well as maybe Xenoscope, some of those other people. Um, a fantastic box, and like I said, you can get $5 off with the promo code SAVAGE by going to comicbento.com. That is $20 with that discount for five collected edition comics. Uh, you know, image Image's average trade paperback is about $15 just for one. Uh, for the first volumes, they're even 10 So already, just from the two Image books out of those five total books... That's the same price as two image first volumes or less than the price of two regular volumes. Uh, no matter how you cut it, it's a great deal. It'll expose you to some new stories. Um, obviously, Klaus and Ryan, the guests that we have on today, are Image Comics creators. Uh, they heavily, um, obviously, believe in creator-owned projects because that's the majority of what they've done so far. And I think that's the majority of where the industry is going anyway. So please go to comicbento.com. Use the promo code SAVAGE. Helps us uh, keep the show going, keep the lights on, keep the bills paid, uh, and it helps you uh, expose yourself to some new stories. Speaking of new stories, today's guests, uh, Plaid Klaus and Ryan O'Sullivan. They are the creators of Image Comics' Void Trip. Uh, we talked about the preview last week, which is in Image Plus number one from uh, Image Plus volume two. Uh, this comic looks awesome. And these guys gave a great interview. I loved talking to them. Uh, if you're a creator, if you're like an aspiring writer, artist, or even curious about the industry, there's a, a wealth of information because they are very recently uh, sort of, I guess, recently inducted into the, the comic creator spectrum. They started in sort of a punk rock way. They made this comic on their own as a web comic and then kickstarted it for print, a comic called Turncoat. And they've worked their way in, and now they have a book from Image, the the gold standard of creator-owned comics. Uh, so much great information in this inter interview. Um, if you are a creator or an aspiring creator, uh, the end of the interview, they kind of uh, we we shifted the focus directly to aspiring creators, um, and so definitely stick around for that. Um, it was an awesome interview, so I will shut up now, and I will let them take it away and. Bring your mind into all sorts of new dimensions. Dimensions? Sure. Why not? I don't know, guys. I, I don't write this stuff down. I'm just making it up. So take it away, Ryan and Klaus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Savage Land. We have another creator interview today. My name is Jason, and the two gentlemen that I will be talking to are the creators of the upcoming Void Trip from Image Comics, as well as their creator-owned project, Turncoat. It is Ryan O'Sullivan and Plaid Klaus. Welcome to the show, guys. How's it going? Hey, thanks, for, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm super excited to talk to you guys. Um, it's uh, it's always interesting when you see a team of people who uh, carry on together after you know one piece of work is done, uh, especially in comics. Um, and I'm curious, how long have you guys uh, known each other, and how long have you been working together on projects? I think we've known each other since um, almost two years now. It was Turncoat that sort of brought us together, and we sort of couldn't get rid of each other ever since um, <laughs> i like the idea of these sort of creative partnerships you don't get that much outside of like edbury baker and sean phillips and a <laughs> few other sort of pairings i like that in the 90s that was a huge thing and it sort of fell out of fashion a bit 
yeah. um, when the sort of the rise of the writer being given all the credit happened. But I think we're starting to move a little bit more into sort of the recognition that it's a pairing. Um, so I, yeah, that's why that's one of the reasons I'm sticking around with Klaus because <laughs> we gel really well creatively, and he's a dude yeah, he, as well. That helps. <laughs> he keeps me around. <laughs> no, it, was, it was fun though. Uh, we actually did the whole first project without ever having met in person. Oh wow! And then luckily, uh, I flew out and we met up in uh, went to Leeds and pitched Void Trip, and that was the first time I got to hang out. So it was it was kind of fun. And, and after that. I realized, okay, we get along artistically. We also get along uh, just as general friends. So it was, it was pretty fun. And you two, so it sounds, at least to uh, to my probably untrained ears, but it sounds like you guys are from very different parts of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Where are both of you from? Uh, I'm based in England. So uh, London and uh, North England at the moment. So I'm in Leeds near where Thought Bubble happens. Nice. Where me and Klaus first met. There you go. And I'm in New York City, so we're kind of like ocean away, I guess, from each other. There you go. Yeah, not too far. You you can throw a rock over there. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I'm I'm curious uh, for for both of you, and and obviously you probably have uh, different stories for this, so so whoever wants to take it first can feel free. Uh, But when did your interest in in becoming a creator of comics uh, first come about? When was that sort of a thing in your head? I asked you to go first. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it started at a really young age. My my dad read his first my first comic when I was five. So and I was drawing at the age of two. So I guess ever since then, I mean, I've been just making comics. It's one of those things where if you have a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pencil, you can do so. I think my mom said I used to be a really like reckless, crazy child and run around and <laughs> cause all kinds of trouble. And when she found out I could draw, she was just thrilled because uh, she'd sit me down and I'd be drawing for like three hours and she'd come back and it'd be like a probably half a, you know, stick figure comic down or something. <laughs> but uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And how about you, Ryan? Well, how did I get into comics or how did I get into writing? When, when, did, you, the... when did you first uh, decide that you had kind of wanted to, to create comics for a living? Um, well, I'd always wanted to write. Um, and I'd always preferred comics as the medium, but I always thought writing was something you had to just like be born with. I didn't realize it was something you work at. So I always thought that because I couldn't do it immediately, that I was going to never be able to do it. So I thought it was the purview of other people. And then as I sort of hit my sort of early twenties and I've got a, a regular job, I thought, Oh, hang on. No, I, I should really try and write. This is terrible. <laughs> So I went and did that, and it seemed to slowly, slowly over my 20s work out. Um, The pinnacle of when it really works was meeting Klaus, creatively clicking, and then creating this turncoat baby together that made me think, oh, actually, if I partner up with the right person, I could probably have a good go at this. And, you know, so far, so good. If I find somebody very talented to hitch my wagon to, then it'll work, right? Completely. Like, no one cares about newbie writers when it comes to comics. Like, no one cares. Like, if you're a new artist and you're really good, you can find a writer to take all the credit for the work you do. And that's that's what I do. I'm joking. um, But there's some truth in that. that I think mostly for indie creators that are brand new, it's the artists that people tend to care more about. So So what I always say to people who are looking to break into writing comics partner up with a really good artist because that is literally all that matters at the start and then just work them to death (laughs) yeah 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 deliver like a uh you know like a 50 page script for a 20 page issue stuff like that just putting loads of crowd shots um (laughs) lots of like nine panel pages lots everyone has to have a different weapon different outfit lots of different coloring always make them do changes even if you don't need changes it's all about training them to do as they're told you know i'm joking joking. it's like having a a side pet right (laughs) uh so so you guys met at thought bubble uh when did sort of the the discussion or the idea for turncoat come about what was the kind of genesis for that uh, Tungo was something I sort of came up with years ago in a Facebook chat when I was talking with, I can't remember who it was, I was talking to someone and I was making jokes about some guy who was a shit assassin and the sort of stuff he'd say to his wife. You know, like, not now, I'm trying to kill, like, sort of really sort of juvenile humour and that sort of festered in my head and moved around over and over over the years and then I pitched it to Klaus um, when I sort of had a solid idea mm-hmm. and then the two of us sort of came up well Klaus came up with the aesthetic and the two of us sort of 
you know, I can't even remember who came up with all the story. I think Klaus gave feedback on a lot of it, and it sort of narratively not, went its own way. Not so much Did on you? Turncoat. That came fully formed, I think. Roy Trip, there was a lot more, like, back oh, and forth. Oh, yeah, and, okay. And gestation and stuff. But, uh, I mean, the cool thing, when Ryan came with Turncoat, uh, I was kind of, like, superhero stuff for me has never been my, my main thing with comics. Like, I like seeing a lot of the indie branch-offs and... Uh, I just, I guess one of the reasons I fall in and out of love with comics a lot. And part of it is because I, you see a lot of the same thing on the shelves, but then he, he pitched it to me as this like satire where it's sort of like spoofing superheroes, but it's also at the same time, it's really just this guy's midlife crisis story. And I thought it was pretty <laughs> hilarious. And then I kind of fell in love with Duke. Um, and yeah, I was kind of hooked once he started sending the script and stuff. It's funny because when he first pitched, turncoat to me and i was doing concepts i did duke as this like stereotypical big muscly superhero guy and uh he's like he's like no he's a doofus he's like a clown you gotta make him <laughs> look lanky and like weak so and look skinny and, fat yeah yeah and like it turned into this uh and then duke just emerged out of that and it, it and i kind of fell in love with the character once we started working on the project and so did you guys, in, in both writing and, and arting when you're on Turncoat, uh, was there anything that you were pulling from sort of influentially uh, as you're working on that, that that you felt like was sort of uh, guiding the direction for you? Or was it something that was sort of created out of whole cloth in your mind? Or a combination? Uh, well, for me, on the on the writing side, I sort of, it was the first big comedy thing I did. So I sort of bled all my, influence, all my influences at the time out on it. So the stuff that really appealed to me was sort of, uh, sort of British sitcom stuff like the work of John Cleese or Rowan Atkinson um, and from enjoying the sort of stuff they did because it wasn't something I didn't want to make more comics as Klaus said a lot of comics <laughs> involved the same I wanted to do something a little bit different because it's the first thing I've done and I wanted, wanted it to stand out so yeah. and I also wanted all these influences I'd had for my life up until that point to just get out of me so I could put some new ones in so I sort of just I sort of bled it all out onto, into the script lots and lots of jokes lots and lots of sort of stuff that would work on TV and wouldn't quite work in a comic, but we figured it out. And um, what what I found really interesting was, um, in terms of some of the visual suggestions I gave Klaus, um, that he, he ran with, was um, a lot of the sitcom stuff that I just mentioned, like Faulty Towers or Blackadder or whatever, was based on an old style of Italian uh, theatre production mm-hmm. called the Commedia dell'arte. And what, the way that worked was you had each actor would learn one role like a, an archetype, like one guy would be the, the clown, one guy would be the baron, and they wouldn't memorise scripts um, to then perform. What they'd do is they'd all go on the stage knowing who their characters were and just improvise a story. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And also when you're, when you're starting out as a writer, you think, oh, I found the cheat codes. This is how you do a story. These are all the different archetypes that every story has. You, know, you find one sliver of something that seems to make sense and suddenly everything you've ever liked is linked into it and you have the, the holy grail of how to write. Yeah. But um, it wasn't quite that. But that's why Duke visually has the clown mask because he's meant to be like Piero. And that's why the Black Prince has, um, who's the, the bad guy in the story, spoilers, has a sort of a, a, a ruffle and looks a little bit black adderish so it was it was fun I, I got to it allowed turncoat allowed me to from my end anyway allowed me to get out all my early influences so that void trip and you know other stuff that i'm doing could have some of my newer influences in so yeah. very very proud of the book but it definitely helped me get a lot out of my system mm-hmm. um that i didn't realize i was carrying around with me creatively so yeah yeah that's me yeah and then for me it was just sort of uh well like with any new series it's my favorite part is it's like the excavation process you know you mm-hmm. you read the script and you digest it you let it kind of simmer in your head a little bit yeah and then you start bringing out uh the story and you you really focus on the characters and like their quirky little mannerisms and what makes them unique um, and the thing i love about working with with ryan is that he's got so much personality written into the script that i get to sort of like choose how these people are acting and how they you know their posture how, how they choose to hold themselves how they how they act, their little uh, twitches and stuff, you know, on each panel. And I like to, like, uh, for instance, Bernard, um, <laughs> I, you know, I like to throw little things in. So at his workstation, he always has all these, like, little superhero toys and stuff because, uh, you know, they work at a superhero company and you always get these, like, cheap toys when you work at Fortune 500 companies because yeah. they, 
all this money to throw around. <laughs> so I just started building up stuff with characters, and um, part of my, that's my favorite part is just how the world grows out as you as you like d- dive into your imagination and just see what this world looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, with Turncoat, it's it's even more fun because it's not even our world uh, with superheroes. It's sort of it's it's an entirely new universe. So we get to do even more of that. Yeah, which is great. And so for your uh, for your process class, I'm curious when you're sort of approaching a script, right? Like you, you, you get the brand new script. Do you have like a set uh, sort of process that you go through any time that you're uh, approaching a new script or does it kind of alter and change? Yeah, no, it's pretty regimented. I mean, basically you read the script mm-hmm. and you sit and think about it. Sometimes I'll, I'll do little sketches out on the side. If like there's an image that just is burned into my mind mm-hmm. right at the moment, I know it's perfect. Um, and then other times you, you just let it sit for even a day sometimes, and then you come back and read it again. Uh, and that's when you start to sort of break it down. And, and I like to think about it from both like front to back, you know, how, how is the story telling out from start to finish? Yeah. And then I start to think about, um, little parallels you can tie and weave throughout the story, symbols, iconography that you can use. I, I like to layer like a storytelling element on top of, um, what's actually happening in the spoken word and like with the actions there, I always try to tie these little visuals out. So there's a little uh, trick I'll give you from void trip is that um, the, 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 well, I don't, the, what are we calling him? Great white. Great white. (laughs) The the nameless uh, villain. The nameless villain. So he, he, his symbol is, is the circle. Mm -hmm. Um, And because he's kind of, he represents in some ways, uh, infinity or like he's being stuck in a circle, a loop, mm-hmm. but then also the circle in Voyager Pulse represents, uh, a star or like the creation of a star, the start of a star, the burning of a soul. So there's all these like little metaphors that I'll start to weave through a story, depending what the story is. Um, and I, I just love build, building a visual tale on top. Like, and a great example of this is Stanley Kubrick when he tells, uh, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm. He, you know, he uses the black monolith, which is like the perfect representation of the 20th century uh, modern art minimalist, yeah. as this like direction of where we continue to go. And he puts it in at the beginning as this this thing that's luring in uh, apes to become humans and like where we're headed. And then it, they find it again on the moon. We're being drawn to the moon and all these things. But it's like it's this perfect symbol um, of its time of what we you know is all about minimalism. And, <laughs> And but it's also it's also a black mirror like they're staring into a black mirror. So if you know anything about that, it's yeah. sort of where did those ideas come from that drive us to create technology and all these other things. So I, I love weaving in all these like secondary symbols and metaphors and yeah, that's kind of where I get my kicks. You get it sounds it's like good you... as well because like um, sorry dude like, no yeah, yeah go uh, ahead with with comics one thing I think about a lot is that it's so more economical compared to other forms other mediums you've got 20 pages a month and you've got to impact you've got to put a lot in there yeah so one thing that i've noticed classes a lot um is a lot of world building individuals so um, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of the school of thought where i build just enough of the world to tell the story i'm not one of those sort of tolkien types who's got a bible that's like 800 pages long full of all the different characters yeah so then it's, it's usually klaus that actually builds upon the world a lot um i think we had one character in the back of turn in turncoat who's just this background character Klaus kept drawing. And we were like, <laughs> yeah, should, we yeah, make him, yeah. should we make him the villain that was behind everything? Like, if we're going to have a one page at the very end, he's just there, like, all tied yeah. together. Beautiful mind style with post-its, but we, ne- we never got to do that. So. It's yeah. funny. But it's, it's cool. I mean, like Ryan said, that, that's one of, that is one of the great things about comics. Is like, and, and specifically with Ryan as a writer, one of the reasons I love working with him so much is there's not a wasted panel. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a wasted page, but there's also not a wasted panel. So, like, everything is incredibly intentional, which is great because then I can really focus on like just making each page a really good experience for the reader. And I never feel like I'm just doing talking heads. Yeah. Um, which is great. So no, that's all. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like your approach class is very, um, directorial in nature. You know, it sounds like you guys have a collaboration that's, that's very much akin to a screenwriter and director rather than like, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Something else. Um, so absolutely that, yeah 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 Klaus is the boss yeah. <laughs> no no I mean I, like you need a good script to to create great art you know I, I I haven't I haven't worked on a series with a writer that like I haven't enjoyed working with yet I can't imagine what that might be like but um 
you know, I get these scripts and every time I get them, I'm reading through them and just like so excited to start tackling them because the stories actually make me laugh. They make me like uh, f- have a little feels. <laughs> well, that's good, man, because you're like my first test for everything. Yeah. You're sort of like yeah, my editor true. as well as everything else. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I want to touch on a little bit sort of your guys' process because it sounds like for both of you, Turncoat was sort of the thing that broke uh, that broke you into the industry and being able to create. And obviously now, you know, getting mm-hmm. to the point where you've got this awesome image series that's, you know, I, I feel like pretty sort of hyped and people are excited to read. Um, but Turncoat was uh, a Kickstarter project initially, right? Yeah. It was a webcomic before that. Oh, was it? So okay. It was a webcomic we did together. That's awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. And then we kickstarted it because the webcomic had a stupid amount of hits. So I <laughs> thought, well, let's make this a graphic novel. And yeah, people seem to really, really dig it. Um, and obviously, they... as, as towards the end of that, we started throwing around other ideas. We had things that were, you know, I'd got the superhero thing out of my system so I could actually look at what I was more interested in on a wider scale than just genre comic stories. And we came up with Void Trip. And yeah, so Turncoat definitely sort of focus in if that was what you were yeah saying, i was going to add to one of the things i miss about that was really fun with turncoat because we did do it as a web series was, oh, yeah, yeah. there was this huge like uh conspiracy guessing during the whole <laughs> series about what what was happening behind the scenes like who was actually who was the turncoat who was like behind this whole master plan but we had this whole thing going with all these people's theories online it was pretty awesome i mean I kind of yeah because we we put it like a page a day didn't we and, yeah, and yeah, they'd, they'd yeah. comment so and say day. oh we think that but the thing was wow. like the the comic itself wasn't really that mysterious it's just that any time <laughs> anyone asked a question I'd always obfuscate I'd always be like well maybe yeah. that's the case maybe it's not <laughs> and then slowly over the months it became like this obsession for some people yeah it got to the point where one guy was emailing me things that were about two thousand words long just because he was like oh it's just too long for me to put as a comment I was like. <laughs> Dude, well, there are, there are a so couple good. twists like, and turns, you know, so you got to give yourself a little credit. Like, oh, yeah, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's a few, but it's not like it is yeah. a mystery story, is what yeah. I mean. Like, there's twists yeah. to it, but it was full on, like, it was almost like a, yeah, it wasn't like a mini fandom, but it was, it was like a sort of, like the conspiracy theories you got in the last season of Lost on the message boards when everyone was just going crazy, just trying to figure out what it all meant, but... Yeah, yeah elements it, made that, me, it but, made me realize, like, if there was a global conspiracy of any type, People, there's no way they have it correct because these people's theories on our silly little comic were just way off. <laughs> and sometimes they were really good as well. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wish yeah. I thought of that. <laughs> That's true. Um, and I, I, so for those who might not have checked out Turncoat, uh, a, what's kind of the the elevator pitch on it, and then B, can they still find it? Where can they, uh, where can they pick it up? Yeah, Turncoat is still available in. Uh, I mean, it's. I don't know if comic stores will still have it because it had quite a small print run, but you can still buy it on Amazon. Um, you can still order it through your comic store. Uh, I think you can still buy it uh, at most MCM shows if you're in the UK. There's Sweet. usually uh, various retailers that sell it. Um, but the elevator pitch for it is it's about a guy who... Oh, it's all, it's, oh, it's not on Comixology, actually. Huh, maybe I should sort that out. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's available on Amazon, and you can order it from if you've got a local comic store. Always go with them rather than Amazon, of course, uh, because they, you know, they're the lifeblood of this bloody industry. Hell yeah, yeah I get it, order. man. I get it because it's going to be a cult classic in twenty years for Hell sure. Hell yeah! Oh yeah, it is for it's sure, definite. We guarantee it right now. But <laughs> the elevator pitch for it is: it's about a guy called Duke who is a hitman, and his job is to kill superheroes for a living. But the only problem is that he's really, really shit at it. And to make matters worse, his ex-wife is really, really good at it. So the problem is that anytime he goes for a hit, she's usually three steps ahead of him. So he's just sort of perpetually failing. So he can't, he's bad at his job. He can't get over his ex-wife because she's his chief competition. Mm -hmm. So he's a bit down in the dumps. Then one day, the big sort of hit comes along for the, the Justice League equivalent. And he thinks it's finally his chance to prove her wrong and show he's got, he's got what it takes. Uh, without spoiling the book, that doesn't happen, and it just gets worse and worse for him to the point of just absolute ridiculousness. That is Turncoat in a nutshell. I love it. That's awesome. I'd say that's fair. <laughs> is that right, Klaus? Would you would you sell yeah. up anyway? Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, nice. So so you guys have have done Turncoat at this point. You know, web comic, obviously very successful. Uh, and now you know you've got the idea for Void Trip. 
when does uh, Image come into the picture? Was it just a blind submission, or did you kind of get your foot in the door somewhere else? Uh, well, with Image, I, I think they get something like 400 submissions a day yeah. by email, so you're not going to... Unless you're a name, you're not really going to stand out in the spam, in the spam box. <laughs> but it was just a case of we went to Thought Bubble with a pitch ready to go. We saw uh, Eric Stevenson was there. Uh, he was nice enough to look at our, our pitch. He liked it. And then... Um, and then, yeah, we just went away and made it, kept emailing him, and then eventually he's like, yeah, we'll put it out. Cool. Wow. He was... <laughs> I mean... He, he was he he's the, way more casual than it was. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, that, here's the thing. Like, yeah. he hit me up Eric like Stevenson that. and Image were it cool. Was like, we were, I, I was a neurotic mess for a solid three months or six yeah, months and, as it was all going on, so... But Ryan had <laughs> suggested, or, like, put the idea in my ear, I guess it was, like, a month before Leeds, oh. and uh, and then I we tossed it around about whether I should go out and try with him and try and pitch, and... And I wasn't sure, but then I think four days, maybe four, maybe it was a week before yeah. the actual event. Ryan was like, "All right, man, I've got this meeting with Eric. You got to come up. We got, we got to do this. He likes artists. You got to be here." I was like, "Okay, okay." So I, he will I not this, care about me. I need you. Yeah, <laughs> he, he gets this light. So I got an eight hundred dollar ticket. You know, Oof. took the chance. And, and not only that, you know, it's New York. I live in New York City, and I'm I'm living off a budget now. So I don't know if you know anything about comics, but yeah they're not high paying gigs but anyway i uh so i flew over and then like i get and ryan's like driving me up to leeds and and he's like i'm like oh, okay what time's our meeting he's like well i'm pretty sure we have a meeting <laughs> and i was like what he's like no no i'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to talk to him oh my so god so we were i was like oh my god that. really he's like he's like no it's okay it's it'll happen it'll happen and uh yeah and then he ended up hooking it up which which was the spawning point for all of it but it was from my end i was like please let this work yeah like (laughs) i'm just thinking about that like that first off like that was that was a huge gamble for you klaus like going out there but like ryan what the hell man you you just i had had, well the thing was i knew that if i promised something and he'd gone to that effort that i would have to make something happen for good or (laughs) ill so i think sometimes you need that fire under you to um to spur you on Man, but honestly, I mean, I wanted to come out and meet Ryan anyway, and it was the yeah. whole thing was fun. Lead, uh, Thought Bubble was awesome. So you got to meet the, the UK comics crew and all the peeps. Yeah, so it's true. That's amazing. Uh, so what what was the genesis for for uh, for Void Trip? What like where did it sort of start from? I can't remember, man. Did you draw like the sci-fi thing? And I was like, oh, that's cool. Let's do a sci-fi comic. I think I, yeah, I was <laughs> sketching some different like a different sci-fi book, which might have spawned something. But I know the way originally ryan was pitching it was like as space hobos and i was like that was that's the name, really wasn't it? Yeah. cool yeah <laughs> and so you know i started drawing all these pictures of these like uh, originally it was like super burnout california hippies that were like you know trying to hitch rides by the side of the road because their their car was always broken down um and then I, I think ryan started explaining the story to me more and i realized it had even more depth which i mean it's gets pretty it gets pretty deep it's a pretty deep story and and, uh we started building the world as more of like this mystical um search for you know a bunch of mystical search for truth i guess and so the characters started being formed around that and and getting their own mythology and it just kind of grew from there but i don't know ryan with actual narrative like the uh i mean the genesis of it was that i was it was at the point when i was reading a lot of american literature lots of stuff that Lots of the Beat Generation stuff, like Jack Kerouac, and then the later stuff, like Bukowski, and obviously Hunter S. Thompson's a huge influence. Mm-hmm. I know he's not Beat Gen, really, but he, he came along as well. <laughs> and also, I was reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy, so I was seeing like, both sides of the American spectrum, the sort of crazy, drug-fueled 60s, and then also the sort of machismo, we're still cowboys kind of thing. And I think I said in a, an interview recently, I wanted to see the soul of America, what it really was, and then just stick a knife in it. And I think that's what I wanted to do with Void Trip. Mm. I think like most beat gen movies like easy rider or thelma and louise we want to lure people in with sort of humor and comedy that we're known for or at least sort of entertaining drama and then at the last minute veer left and just go into pure sort of existential pessimism almost but not in yeah. not in a, but pessimism with a smile you know like so saying like this is how shit the world is and this is this is like this is this is the thing that was sort of in my mind, separates Void Trip from a lot of other comics out there is that we're not saying the world is shit right now. 
because of I don't know this political thing or that we're not taking a side we're saying no this is these are the sort of inherent things that are bad within humanity that's timeless because that's the sort of story I wanted to tell I didn't want to tell something that was that could be someone could read it like oh that was the year that Trump was president or they could say oh that was the year that blah 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 happened I wanted to write and create something that would be a timeless story and I think when you really sort of delve down deep into the nature of what living is a lot of it is suffering and I think that if you can point that out to people and sort of make make them aware of it but also bear in mind you're doing this in a medium that traditionally is escapism so don't don't go too hard i think um it's been a balancing act man but i'm really proud of it i think it's the best thing i've done writing wise um it's great yeah. i mean it, it's definitely love, pushing my ability man jesus <laughs> i love that we do we uh one of the great things about comics and cartoons in my mind is that you get to do this really uh dark sense of humor like yeah. you get to yeah. lure people in with like you said, you know, it, it, you think it's this lighthearted, funny thing, and, you know, there's goofy, cartoony-looking characters, and then when you start, like, if anyone gets murdered, all of a sudden it, like, it turns, you know? It, it turns. Yeah. Or, I mean, with cartoons, you can do the other way, too, where, you know, someone's head can get blown off, and it's humorous because they're, like, a little silly character, or the way they die is fine. You know, you can take it in many different directions, but uh, it's it's you can contrast the seriousness of life with uh, the lightheartedness of a cartoon. And uh, again, this is, it's a pretty Gnostic tale. So it is sort of explaining like uh, what life is or what our our reality is. It's not something you can get escape from. You can't get out of it. You can try to uh, run away. You can't even reason with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to, it's going to chase you down. You have to face it. Like this is what, life is this is what reality is this is what material is hmm. and i think it's part of part of what i liked about the story too is you know you, you saw the 60s turn into the 70s uh going from this like lighthearted dream of utopia of somehow maybe returning to you know let's return to hunter gather tribal people and life will be wonderful and then in the 70s it turned and those same drugs that were elating everyone became like this dark satanic mass hovering <laughs> over the nation. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, maybe this stuff isn't all good. And maybe it's not, you can't just escape with it. And there still is reality and we still have to deal with being humans. And, you know, and a lot of that is, is definitely addressed in the book too, which really well actually by Ryan. So, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, uh, it's, it's interesting like hearing, um, kind of you know both of your because you guys kind of have like you have a, a synchronicity to how you're thinking about it but it's it's definitely sort of coming from kind of these these two sort of different ends i think just like ideal ideologically and so it's it's cool kind of hearing yeah. uh the different approaches and how it comes together to make this cohesive thing um i mean i, I guess even with, it, even with terms of like gnosticism so i approached it because there's various elements of it in the book i approached it from the idea of um the problem of evil how can it be evil in the world if god's good right so i thought well the demiurge and gnosticism kind of explains how there can be evil because it's not god's fault it is the fault of the creator who isn't god it's this sort of separate um entity that can be evil so i thought well i'm a I'm sort of a hardcore atheist but from a storytelling point of view this is really cool so i thought i could inc- so the bad guy in, in uh, void trip could potentially could not be who knows be representative of the demiurge and sort of fire and god old school um sort of old testament god book of job kind of stuff but i think with klaus took the gnosticism in a different direction which was more sort of sp- the more spiritual side of it that tied more in with the fact that it was a drug fueled sorry a fruit fueled uh, journey is that right klaus or yeah, completely no, off base I- no, absolutely. And, you know, um, I'm totally fascinated with symbols again and, like, uh, what they mean to different people. So I'm constantly trying to juggle uh, actually recreating symbols through appropriating other, like, all these different classic symbols. And I think part of the reason I do that is because, you know, with language, essentially what we're doing is we're using words to then uh, – communicate ideas and i think you can do the same thing with imagery that these things are kind of rooted inside humans and like the older ones are somehow rooted mm-hmm. even deeper um so when you start digging into some of these uh ancient mythologies you start to hit at these like things that i imagine are like complexes we had even before we could verbalize them like what we feel about life and what you know again going back to the demiurge it's like how can we be living in this 
this thing that's both beautiful and evil, you know, and, and I guess the Bible would approach that with like, well, there's, there's a, a good creator and then a, a bad creator. And then, uh, the good one made the good things, the bad one made the good things. And the beauty of Gnosticism is like, it, it's like, no, we're actually these awesome, beautiful shards of light that are trapped by this demiurge in reality. And so then, then your whole reality is tainted with this dark, it's kind of undercurrent where it's like, if that were true, that would mean that there could be nothing good in this world. So it's almost a worse religion, even than saying like, maybe the creator actually does some bad stuff. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you're entirely in this. So, uh, yeah, but when it comes to the art side of things, I just sort of like try to draw from things that maybe are deeper resonances inside the mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder, because, uh, you know, obviously fruit is, you know, a, a big thing in this book. Both of <laughs> our, you know, your main characters here are are basically, you know, more or less. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like entirely, but a lot of their journey is fueled by, by fruit, which is sort of this, you know, space drug. Uh, I'm curious, what's, what's your personal fruit for both of you? Um, oh, uh, for me, I think, I think it's probably writing. It's either writing or um, procrastinating when I should be writing. It's definitely one of the two. Um, interesting about interesting thing about fruit, though, that was originally because I was considering doing Voyager as an all-ages drug story. So I thought if we just said that people, like, like so kids could read it, so it would be a case of um, uh, people, would t like, the characters in the, in the story would take eat the fruit and then have sugar highs and feel funny. and like. But then I realized that no one would go with that, really. But, See, but, but yeah, it works, my, is, my it works for like taking fun. a bite out of the apple too, though. You know, mm. that ah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> but also the nice thing, I, I think I said this in a different interview. Like, fruit is sweet, you know, so a little bit's good. If you have too much, you kind of like burn out. So mm. I think it works in all kinds of ways. It's like alluring and colorful, which works with the psychedelic side of things. Yeah, our Plus it distances um, the story a bit from like hard drugs, which. Because that's the thing, like it's a, a druggy story, and there's and hard drugs are a huge problem in society, and that was something I didn't really want to touch on. So right. I thought if we could make it a little bit, hey, look, the fruit's talking, <laughs> drugs are nice. <laughs> it's like it's not a propaganda piece, but it, it is. I wanted to touch on that bit of it. Yeah, it's not a parallel for like black tar heroin or anything. Oh god, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. You know, death of the author and all that, but no, yeah, it's, that's it's fair. Not. Um. And I, so are, are you, I guess some creators kind of have a, uh, various approaches to this. Some people like to immerse themselves, uh, as they're, you know, writing or drawing or whatever. They like to immerse themselves in things that, um, either inspire or feel familiar to what they're working on. Other people, uh, try to, you know, separate and, and kind of cut off anything that's too similar to what they might be working on to avoid, you know, like aping or whatever. Uh, I'm curious, which which camp do you guys fall into? Do you like to immerse yourself in similar things or, or totally separate from them while you're working? Um, do you want to go first, Klaus? I'll have a little think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for me, visually, mm -hmm. uh, the best thing to do, I think, is to... You, you have to look at, at the content that's uh, similar to the subject matter. So I, I basically looked at a bunch of uh, 50s-style uh, architecture and then uh, cars and then I looked at a bunch of you know the way hippies dress roadies dress uh, you know I, you load all that stuff into your mind um, but I think the best thing to do is then to sort of just start drawing without the references for a while and, and see what emerges because I think what happens is there's sort of like this um, there's this birthing in the mind of ideas combined with uh, all those volumes and forms. Mm. And then what comes out is it is its own unique thing. I, I think if you're sitting there just using reference the whole time, it can get a little, um, I mean, I, I, I always have stuff on hand because you don't, you can't quite three dimensionally visualize a shape without a little assistance sometimes. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. But as far as getting the feel of all those things, I think you definitely need to like look at it all, ingest it. And then the whole point of, creating a new thing with comics and everything else is to sort of branch away from that. Mm. I think of it as like, like again, branching away. You, you need to, you need to make it your own thing yeah. for sure. So, yeah, but I think, I think I was the same. I don't, when it comes to writing comics, I tend to avoid reading other comics because I'm quite influenced by the style of dialogue other people use. So if I was writing a comic, and I was reading lots of, 
Brian K. Vaughan, for example, suddenly all my characters would sound like his. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what I did instead was I went back and reread uh, the non-comic stuff that influenced me. So I sort of, I've got, as I'm writing one of the issues now, I've got Moby Dick on the table, uh, Meridian, Sunset Limited, with all the sort of corners folded down. So I'm rereading the sort of pages that I've highlighted mm-hmm. um, just to sort of see... You know, cool stuff to steal. Nah, and also, uh, <laughs> like what what my original, the genesis of the idea, where it came from, how that has changed. Because there's always the worry that when you develop something, you move away from what you originally had. So I like to make sure that I'm still on track. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of in, influences from comic, it wasn't really. I didn't really look at any writers. I generally don't get influenced by comic writers because I, I I look at the how they write, and if they do stuff good, I sort of notice it and analyze it and if it's any good i'll sort of add it to my repertoire yeah but typically it's the artists that i'll get inspiration from like sean Gordon murphy uh jeff darrow fabio moon gabriel bar they've done loads of amazing stuff and if you if you read a lot of their stuff you see sort of patterns to how they do it and i and when it comes to putting together a script for klaus i thought well maybe i could try and not ape some of their ideas but sort of draw inspiration from it visually yeah um I think, but yeah, I mean, for me, writing-wise, is the influence has always been um, stuff outside of comics. Because as I think Class said earlier, or, or I said, I can't remember. It's quite late. <laughs> uh, we, there's a lot of comics are similar to other comics, and I feel that comics in general now, the, a lot of people writing comics are people who only read comics, and I think that's mm. you know what more of the yeah. same, man. Especially more a niche industry, we don't have to have more of the same. We can do crazy shit. No, yeah. uh, the vast majority of the population don't care what we do, so yeah. let's go crazy, right? Less limits. Yeah, I think I think ever. for a long time that was a big problem with comics is self-referential sort of like yeah. just it was very insular. I, now, now I think it's actually branching out, especially with a lot of stuff Image is putting out. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, man. It's but it's it's finally breaking free of that habit. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is, I mean, you're right, like comics, unlike, even unlike novels, but especially unlike, you know, film and television is uh, very, very much free from a lot of those restraints creatively or, you know, even like just some of the, uh, I guess, safeties of of those genres, right? Like in film or television, the appealing to broad audiences or whatever. Comics don't really have that. Um, And so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean... Look at look at especially even in its golden period, you know, like how many how many hundreds of characters have a, a cape and tights? You know, it's like it's not a it's a very uh, you know they know their audience and they're pan- they're pandering for a long time, but I think that the audience is hungry for for other things as well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, yeah, but we're no, moving in that direction, which is good. Um. Now, do you guys have and and uh, I'm I'm like some people. Obviously, again, this is one of those things. A lot of people like you know music or movies or whatever while they're they're creating. Uh, do you guys have any type of playlist, whatever genre it might be, for when you're working? I can't write with anything except silence, man. I can't do music. <laughs> I just it influences me too much emotionally. Like I, I used to try and write with sort of classical music on, but then everyone sounded like some sort of Spartacus reject and I just couldn't do it. It's, I can't, I need silence, man. That's me. <laughs> yeah, no, I usually listen, I listen to podcasts a lot cause I, I need that logic part of my brain shut off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm doing something really technical, but a lot of times it's, it's nice to just, it's like there's someone in the room. So, yeah. so I can take it like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like, uh, it's keep, keeping that, that side of your brain on like a little hamster wheel while you're just, the the creative side will kind of take over yeah um, but music you know I'll, I'll listen to i'll listen to tunes too um but it just depends i don't have a specific thing no <laughs> do you have so. any go-to podcasts that uh that that you you like to go yeah to? yeah shout out to duncan trussell family hour oh yeah that's <laughs> actually he's a pretty cool guy I, i've met him a few times he's here in new york that's awesome yeah duncan trussell's got a great show um, yep. and so, uh, and I, I know you guys like, uh, in the image plus interview, uh, you guys talked a bit about like your Easter eggs, um, and kind of the, the little clues that you sort of weave into the story. Um, is this one of those scenarios where all of those background details, little trinkets, things like that, uh, can be used to help figure out the direction of the story or, or is it sort of more supplemental than that? Well, there's always red herrings. Mm. Um, 
and then but there's also I like 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 I said before I like to layer my own mythology and part of it I don't care if the reader knows why it's there but I think the fact that I have a reason behind it you know it's like if you if you if you saw a whole new language you wouldn't know what the letter sets are but you would see that there's intention yeah or if you saw the symbols of a different new religion you wouldn't know what it meant but you would you would feel the force of intention, which mm. is, is most important. So, like, I, I like to layer that in. But then definitely there's things where, like, Ryan will specifically be building up towards using repeated imagery or, or uh, symbols, and, or I'll be throwing it in myself mm. on purpose, hoping that the reader will, will catch it. <laughs> right on. Yeah, because right a lot of the time I like taking this the sort of Levitt's paradigm that Paul yep. Levitz used to do at DC you know, with Legion and, and a bunch of other books mm. where he'd have like a background character in one panel would graduate would graduate as you know the A plots and the B plots got f- sort of resolved the background character in one panel yeah. would eventually become the main story of the would become a subplot then it become the main story of the book and I just love the idea of the sort of ascended extra sort of like you know Spike in Buffy how he was just a bad guy but then he became one of the big characters or you know <laughs> Possibly like other stuff like that. I just think it's, I think it's, it's sort of romantic in a way, and the, the, the it's almost like the story's taking a life of its own, and you're not really in control of it anymore. Yeah. Like going back to Turncoat, there's a character in it called Galadorian, and he was just a one-shot character um, about you know he was this sort of sentient suit of armor where the the human inside had died, but he just didn't notice because he was that dedicated to his duty, and he was just like a one-shot comedy thing, and then we we had him show up for the rest of the book just because we had a need for a certain character and he was there it's the sort of i can't remember which author does it i think it was gaiman or or dickens because they used to like dickens used to do sequential fiction where he'd release a chapter every month or whatever and so every now and again he'd just sort of throw a character out like a, a baker or a butcher or whatever and just in case he ever needed them and then later on he'd use that character again and everyone'd be like oh my god he planned this all in advance what a genius <laughs> it's just very very coincidental that he needed them yeah. You never, never, you never notice all the characters he doesn't use again. Mm-hmm. But that, that's something I enjoy doing, and I think, I think there are clues in there. There's also clues to like the stuff going on in Klaus's brain. And, um, <laughs> well, no, I'll feed you this one. So I'll feed you this one. The 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 center the center circle mm-hmm. uh, on all the covers has a very specific meaning, and uh, uh, as the covers progress through each issue, uh, and as you read through the story, you'll you'll kind of see what the what it represents. But interesting. Yeah. Okay. And is uh so this this four pages uh, of story here in the Image Plus uh, magazine is that from the first issue or is that entirely supplemental? That's from the first issue. There's from... actually five pages there, but for, oh, five I think pages. on the page on the page before uh, they actually put the splash behind some of the text. So there's a splash and then the four pages. Oh, that's right. I think we we gave them. Yeah, we I think we gave them more art than they had space for. So, <laughs> but uh, we we got we got pretty excited that it was coming out. So yeah, we're like. Print all of our stuff. No, yeah. no, that's Just awesome. Calm down. <laughs> uh, so, so but yeah, that's how, that's how it starts, man. I think it was it was originally I'd had them like escaping Earth and explaining their situation, and Klaus was like, "Nah, man, they're they're hippies. They need to be stealing fuel." I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go write that." <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, first I wanted to to check. So, I. Uh, Void Trip, if I'm correct, comes out November 22nd. Is that right? That number is correct. One? Awesome. And so mm-hmm. people can pre-order that from their comics right now. Uh, final order cutoff, I'm sure, isn't for another month or so, right? I think the final order cutoff is October the 30th. So okay. as long as you order before then, perfect. Uh, that would be ideal. Ideally, you don't want to do it on October the 30th because that's when all the stores put in their final orders. You want to do it a few days in advance, if yeah. not longer. But no, absolutely. Yeah, people can buy it when they want, man. I'm not going to tell them when to. <laughs> <laughs> I just I always like to to recommend to make sure that people uh, pre-order the comics that they're excited for, especially for like new number ones in a creator-owned industry. You know, as we kind of alluded to before, like it's it's tough sometimes trying to get that type of thing going, uh, especially financially. It can be quite a strain. So, um, oh yeah, for sure, man. It's it's a weird archaic system, and <laughs> yeah. I, I see a lot of times people sort of creators saying we we need the the customers to do it. I said, like, well. It's up to them when they want to buy it, but yeah. ultimately we, we live or die if they don't. So yeah, go and bloody do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I always like to take just a, a little bit of time kind of toward the end here because we have a lot of um, creators and aspiring creators who listen to this show. Uh, for you two personally as creators of comic books and as people who have gotten into this, 
what do you think has been, whether it's like education-wise or life-wise, whatever, what do you think has helped you along your path to creating comics the most? Um, making a comic. I think Turncoat helped me more than anything else. Because mm. from a writer's perspective, you can, you can join forums and have your scripts critiqued by people. You can write scripts over and over and read all the books. But until you have someone else who isn't you drawing your stuff and then have that stuff published and be read by strangers you're not going to realize you know how much you need to improve it makes you want to improve very very quickly the knowledge that a stranger is reading your work Mm -hmm. and it's and also you know you learn by doing you don't you don't learn by theorizing you got to learn all the stuff but it's better to learn whilst doing and they know that people are going to forgive you early stuff if it's not so good one piece of advice i see a lot from people is like Start out by doing a, a short comic. Start out by doing a, a, a ten-page one to show that you can. No, fuck that. Just just do like a a massive long graphic novel, make <laughs> or or, or, or webcomic that goes forever. Make an impact, man. So, comics is so heavily saturated now. No one's going to care if you make a really short one shot. Well, uh, they will. I mean, I will because I read it because I like stuff like that. But I'm saying if you want to start out and get noticed, you want as much as possible out there yeah uh, but it has to be it has to be good you have to be you have to from a writer perspective one thing i found useful is i surrounded myself with good writers early on in my career and i still do mm. and they give me feedback on stuff so i'm not at no point have i sort of believed my own hype you know because I'm, I'm at the point now where i'm getting i'm doing some like a bunch of licensed comics for titan so i'm getting a whole bunch of reviews saying oh ryan's great yay ryan and yeah that, that's that's nice to hear but you you can't accept the good praise. You can't accept the bad either because the bad's always wrong, but you can't accept the good <laughs> praise because you, you've got to, you got to just, I don't know, you got to make, know that you always got to keep learning. That's the thing, isn't it, Klaus? You, like, you, art's yeah. abandoned. It's never, you're never 100% happy yeah, with it, I guess. I think, and also with artists, I think one of the traps is that, you you know, sometimes people are just waiting like for the right opportunity or, you know, if I could just get that opportunity. The thing is, you just you really do just have to to do it. You, what you don't see in a lot of the artists you like is that they've they have a whole portfolio of work before they did anything worthy of being published or like anything that got noticed at all. I mean, I was like I said before, I started drawing comics when I was five, and I took it really serious at the age of twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I I put out six comics that I I won't mention because they're not that great. <laughs> And, uh, you I never even mentioned pop- them to me, have you? Oh, no, I told you. You've never shown me that. I'll, I'll show you some of them. Ryan, you can see my secret. <laughs> okay, okay. You're locked <laughs> in already. But, but, and, uh, and I even self-published a few of my own. Um, you know, you look back on these, you're like, well, thank God I wasn't getting jobs. <laughs> uh, but you just, you really have to just keep doing it. Because like Ryan said, that is, that is how you learn. And uh, I, th- I think you know. Like, you know when you're finally ready. Like, when Ryan reached out to me on, on Turncoat. I was I was ready to pitch another series as well that I was pretty confident with. Um, but then that opportunity came and I just jumped on that. So I, I like the way you write. But um, yeah, you, you gotta, you can't wait for someone else to tell you that you know how to do it. You have to just become it. And then one of the best pieces of advice I got was uh, tweeting, or Scotty Young was tweeting about comics one time. And I, I wrote to him and said, I can't wait till I'm part of the comics community. He goes, if you make comics, you're part of the comics community. <laughs> and that was cool to hear because it was encouraging. And that's what I'd say to any comic artist out there is that if you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome. Um, and one thing I'd definitely say is focus on making it good. Like there's the industry is full of people who are trying to find that sort of the get rich quick scheme, which is funny because there's no money in comics. They're trying to find the, like, the, the Oh, how what what angle of nepotism do I need to do? Which which editors at which cons do I need to sort of hustle in front of? To the thing is that everyone every editor is looking for the new like hot newcomer, mm-hmm. but your work's they don't know what it good, is. man. It, yeah, they don't know what it is. Like and, yeah. and, and and so many people try and play the game, but it's not surprising. It's, it's a, ge- a geeky industry. Everyone turns into a bloody video game. But you need to have good work because otherwise, what's the point? Like we don't need more. Definitely. I mean, comic, the thing about it, comics—it's not a money business. I mean, there's there's money in it, and you can make good money if you get really successful. But the the truth is, like, for artists, it takes so long to make. I mean, I don't know about yeah. other artists. I I pencil, ink, color. I even lettered, wow. you know, for a while, like the whole gambit. And and it's not worth 
half-assing it just to get something done to get out there to maybe get some opportunity. If, if you're doing, if you're spending hours and hours and hours on pages, you know, like Ryan said, make sure it's content you like. It's like, I can't, I couldn't picture myself just kind of working on whatever comic was handed, you know, from, from a different industry. Like if I read through it and it had no heart, no soul, I didn't like it. I, I can't imagine as an artist spending all that time. You know, I've had those jobs but they've been jobs that pay a lot better, you know, doing illustrating <laughs> things that necessarily didn't like. I can't imagine as a comic artist doing that. It, it's it's very so. If you want to do comics, do stuff that really has heart, that you that means something to you, and and find a writer that you really think is talented, that uh, that you get along with too, and that's willing to like. The great thing about Ryan is he's he's always up for ideas. You know, we'll toss them back and forth. Uh, most of them land, some don't. If if it if it hurts the story or something specific, but uh, find a good partnership because like you're gonna be spending a lot of time with the content that the person gives to you. So. Mm. No, that's awesome. Uh, that fantastic advice. I I know that like our. It's funny. Like I think it's because for some reason Instagram has always been like our biggest social network thing, and so we just get like this this huge mm-hmm. insurge of like artists and writers who who love listening to the interviews and kind of gleaning tips and stuff and so it's always interesting to see uh how people sort of take that advice and what the feedback is and so i'm sure i don't know that from both of you guys i think that was fantastic advice um make make cool shit that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and keep making it as well um, yeah. don't think that something you made five years ago anyone's going to care about comics is different to normal publishing it's got a really quick turnaround time yeah uh, you need to, you need to constantly be making stuff to get noticed it's i don't know it sounds terrible but that's just how it is it's you know <laughs> Absolutely. we're doing okay and i'm still paranoid constantly that it's all going to go away so for someone who's super brand new you need that paranoia you need that constant worry or you're just not going to get anywhere it's sad <laughs> but it's yeah <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate both of you guys uh, taking some time to to stop running momentarily from the giant wave that is looming <laughs> deadlines. Um, let uh, let our listeners know real quick where they can find you online, what things that, uh, that they should be looking for, all that. Uh, you can find me online, mostly on Twitter, at Ryan O'Sullivan. Just Ryan O'Sullivan, all one word. I don't have a website. Uh, I think Klaus has one. If you want to email me, ryan.osullivan.uk at gmail.com. Um, I've got, as you know, as we've said, Void Trips coming out in November 22nd, issue one. Turncoat Trade is out in bookstores, comic stores, and Amazon. And uh, Evil Within, new series I'm doing with Titan based on the video game, has just mm-hmm. issue one came out uh, last week. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to end, but it, it came out, what was the date? It came out on the 6th of September. So yeah, that's out there. Okay, cool. So, so I'm always happy to hear from people if they like my stuff, yeah. and, and maybe if they don't, I don't mind. <laughs> I spend a lot of time by myself writing. I just like human contact. So if you want to send me abuse, that's fine as well. <laughs> and what about you, Klaus? Where can uh, where can the people find you? Yeah, I'm Plaid Klaus on all the networks I use. So nice. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I I throw a lot of stuff out. I don't. I mean, I'll I'll. I'll give you a favorite or whatever if you write to me. I do read all that stuff. I don't, I don't do too much Twitter talking or anything. <laughs> but uh, if you want to see my art, it's definitely all there. And, and I encourage, like, if you like what I I do, I would, you know, one of the reasons I post up there is so people can see it. So check it out. Hell yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, gentlemen, I I loved talking to you guys. Uh, we'd love to have you guys back on. You know, down the road when let's say the the first volume of Void Trip is out or whatever. But seriously, thanks so much for joining the show. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having us, man. And that was Ryan O'Sullivan and Plaid Klaus, the creators of Image Comics' new series Void Trip, as well as uh, their creator-owned project Turncoat. Uh, Definitely check out those books. Uh, You can check out the preview for Void Trip in uh, Image Plus Volume 2, number one. That is just $2 from your comic book store. Uh, And it's loaded with all sorts of other previews for great image books. Highly recommend that. Um, If you want to follow our show... I also highly recommend that. Uh, I guess, obviously. I guess I should, yeah, I should obviously recommend that. Um, I don't know. We we post some fun stuff every once in a while. Uh, check us out on Twitter, at SavageLandPod. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram, at SavageLandPodcast. Um, we always love hearing feedback from anyone who's listening. Uh, so if you have any feedback on this interview, or if you have anything that you want to talk about, just general comic book discussion, 
uh, please feel free to uh, to reach out via any of those uh, mediums. We also have our email letters at savagelandpodcast.com. Uh, so whenever we do our issue of the week segments, which um, the next issue of the week is Batman. I can't remember which issue, uh, but it's the, the Brave and the Mold by Tom King and uh, Mitch Garrods. If you have any you know feedback or things that you want to say about that issue, about the issue of the week, if you send us an email, letters at savagelandpodcast.com or call 413-SAVAGE-4, uh, we will play your voicemail or read your message uh, when we are talking about that issue. Uh, I want to thank the sponsors for this episode, Comic Bento. You can go to comicbento.com and use the promo code SAVAGE to get uh, $5 off your first box. And this month's theme is creator-owned. Uh, much like we were just talking about with with uh, Klaus and Ryan, this is a creator-owned book, you know, and and a lot of uh, I think two of the books in this month's comic bento are from Image, who is one of the best in the industry, uh, especially on the creator-owned end. Uh, there's a, a huge reason why the biggest names in comics, the the people who you love the most, almost all of them are at Image in some capacity or another. Uh, this box is guaranteed to be kick-ass. I mean. I, I creator owned is the most creative and exciting area of comics these days. Um, and, and we're seeing that in the adaptations that we see, you know, like there's a reason that it's like a large part of the comics that are generating attention from Hollywood or wherever else are from image are our creator owned books, because like we were talking about in this interview, they don't have the limitations of books from, a Marvel or a DC or whatever, as much as those books can be great, uh, creator-owned books are a lot more daring. And so I think that if you want to challenge yourself to kind of widen your horizons uh, creatively and read some comics that are going to uh, expose you to things that you might not have checked out, I think this is a great way to do it. So if you go to comicbento.com, use the promo code SAVAGE, that'll get you $5 off your first box. You'll get five new trade paperback collected edition comics uh, that are all creator-owned. Um, I wanted to give a shout-out to... Let's see. Boy, I'm bad at this. Uh, somebody. Oh, David Acosta. Uh, David Acosta sent us a tweet about curse words from last week. Um, just saying that curse words is super awesome. The art is vibrant and it's fun. I couldn't agree more. Loved curse words. Uh, that comic is just incredible. And Hey, who knows? Maybe that's going to be one in the, uh, in the comic bento, uh, box for this month. Um, thanks David for tweeting us at savage land pod. Uh, anytime you, you have sort of feedback or things to say about whatever we talk about, whether it's on an old episode or a new one, feel free to reach out. Um, I want to thank our other sponsor for this episode, T-Blocks. You can go to T-E-E-B-L-O-X.com. Get 10% off your first order. T-Blocks will send you a t-shirt every single month uh, for less than $9, which is still crazy in my mind. Uh, either official licensed material from places like Star Wars, Marvel, DC, you know, all that awesome geek stuff. Uh, or you can do their original community designs, which are crazy awesome. I mean, like they have some really, really cool artists submitting designs to them. Um, and so if you go to T-E-E-B-L-O-X.com uh, and you can use the promo code COOLTBX, that's COOLTBX, get 10% off your first shirt. Uh, thanks for listening this week, guys. Uh, coming up in the pipeline, we have Zach Kaplan is returning to the show talking about uh, Volume 2 of Eclipse, as well as his new series from Image, Port of Earth. We have Hass from Strip Panel Naked uh, and Panel by Panel, his new comics magazine. Uh, last time that Hass was on the show, we talked about Strip Panel Naked, his YouTube channel, uh, quite extensively, and it was right before he announced Panel by Panel. And so on my next interview with Hass, uh, we will be going in-depth on everything that came together to uh, culminate in panel by panel. We have a lot of other exciting guests. Uh, not sure when the dates are for everybody else. There's a lot of sort of balls in the air right now. Um, but we will announce those uh, as soon as we have things locked down. Um, as we usually do, we will go to Reddit and ask for questions from anybody. Uh, forgot to do that on this one, in all honesty. But Klaus and Ryan had plenty of information on their own. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, anything you'd like to say, uh, please reach out to us. Twitter, again, is Savage Land Pod. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Savage Land Podcast. And you can uh, send us an email, letters at savagelandpodcast.com. Uh, phone number is 413-SAVAGE-4. 
And please, please, please leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. We always love to see those. Uh, they really, really help people find the show. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like iTunes search algorithm is not that complex. Uh, it's not like YouTube where it uses a thousand different data points to, to look for what you're, you're trying to find. Uh, iTunes entire search algorithm is basically four data points. Um, the biggest one is ratings and reviews. And so for people to find our show, we rely on those ratings and reviews that you guys leave. And I cannot thank enough the people who have been uh, leaving those ratings and reviews lately. Um, it is, it is immensely helpful and, uh, it will never, ever, ever get old. We just love patting ourselves, uh, patting ourselves on the back. And speaking of which, uh, we have a new review from Coogie Bear. Uh, the title is iTunes refuses to publish my review. Uh, it's five stars. And, uh, the, uh, review says this is a great podcast. It is as good as Blink-182, which everyone knows is the best punk band ever. Please read this review on your show with enthusiasm. I'm going to make Matt read that next week. (laughs) Um, because that, that was kind of the thing that, uh, that I put out so that he would have to read it. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't go ahead and thank Coogie Bear for that five-star review. Um, but I am absolutely going to make sure that Matt reads that uh, the next time that he is on, which I believe is in two weeks. And for, for almost every episode, Matt will be reading the reviews. So if you have anything that you want Matt to say, this will force him to say it. Uh, so like like Coogie Bear did, Blink-182 is the best punk band ever. That is a great thing to make Matt say, uh, and it just brings a smile to my face. Uh, let's see. Uh, David Attenborough was a hack. That could be another one you could use um let's see what's another one Ooh, what should we make matt say dinosaurs suck uh jurassic park uh is the worst movie ever made um oh man uh oh ready player one is just nostalgia baiting please make matt say that i would love it gosh so much power in my hands right now without matt here he doesn't know what's going on i don't know if you can i mean i'm sure if you've been listening to the show for a while i'm sure you can think of some great things that matt would never want to say uh or if you want either me or Rachel to read your review, you can put that in there too. Any of us will read anything that, uh, that you leave in your review, but I am very, very partial to making Matt say things that he otherwise uh, would never, ever say. So if you'd like to do that again, go on iTunes, leave us a rating or review. We love five-star reviews, but we will take whichever reviews you feel are an honest representation of our show. Uh, and you know, obviously feedback, we will shout you out on, uh, whatever, social network or whatever thing that you want to shout out hell if you've got a comic book or or even a podcast whatever you've got uh feel free to leave it in your comment and we will shout you out um so thank is thanks again for coogie bear to for leaving us that review uh thanks for everybody who's left us ratings and reviews uh they've been coming in more and more lately and it's uh it's it's the best we love getting uh attention we're just attention whores that's all we are all we will ever live off of is just your 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 love and affection. Um, anyway, I think that's enough of me rambling for one episode. Am I right? God, it's so weird when Matt and Rachel aren't here and I just have to like piece together how I can make a conversation uh, that's entirely one-ended. And I know there's the obvious jokes. It's like, oh, well, you already do that anyway when they're on the show. <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever. Um, I'm a talkative guy. So now I'm going to stop talking and let you get on with your day. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next week with our next guest. It's either Hass or Zach Kaplan, or maybe it's a surprise guest. I don't know. You know, showmanship. Woo, zing. I uh, hope you enjoyed your time in the Savage Land. Mm-hmm.